It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Check out the new sporty and spacious Renault Arcana in petrol and full hybrid. Guaranteed delivery, low AP or finance and 48-hour test drive. Visit BlackstoneMotors.ie. Welcome to Tuesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Well, we're starting in the bog today. We really are. Wouldn't it be lovely to be in the bog on a nice day and your grub with you and out in the open air and cutting a bit of turf? Well, you know, turf cutting is on the agenda and in recent days you will have seen that the Minister has announced uh, that he wants to stop the sale of turf. The, the sale of turf is to be stopped and distribution. Uh, it's an ongoing uh, debate and it all ties in with climate action. I'm going to have a chat first with uh, a woman whose family rely on turf cut from Lisclar Bog in County Mead. Christina Devine, hello. Hello, Harry. I'm good. Thank you very much for joining me on the show. Well, look, at you were at a rally in recent times in Clara County, Offaly, uh, with a group of families who rely on this Clara Bog and the turf that comes from it. And you do know that Minister Ryan, Eamon Ryan, has announced now that he's uh, prohibiting uh, the sale and distribution of turf. How do you feel about the latest development? I feel panic. Um, we have no other form of heating. There are so many other people that I know that depend on this, elderly people that we might help bring home their turf. I don't see how they can think of this as a realistic way forward. You know, there's no way to heat our homes this winter. Mm. And even though he goes on to say, Christina, that uh, uh, turbury rights will continue to be permitted to extract peat to heat people's own dwellings, but they won't be able to place on the market for sale or distribution to others. Is it that distribution to others you're worried about because some people can't cut their own? Is that the issue? Well, where I live, we're surrounded by bogs. Um, Some privately owned, some were bored and worn in bogs. So on a privately owned bog, can I go in? Can I still buy my plot of turf? Yeah. Off the man I always bought a plot of turf off. Mm. Like ourselves, the, the bog we were getting our turf off was coming from Bordnamona. Mm. Um, so we would pay for our turf. We'd bring it home. We would also help some elderly people bring home their turf. Yeah. So where do we go from there? For the privately owned bog then, is he allowed to sell the turf? Mm. You know, I don't actually get it off a privately owned bog, but there are some elderly relatives and friends that we do help bring home the turf for. Yeah. So where does that stand? Yes, and I think that so is the big question. Yeah. 
rural Ireland, you know, we are dependent upon turf. That's just the bottom line. Now, you know, we can all say we'd like to have a different plan. We'd like to retrofit our homes. I have an old bungalow. It's 40 plus years old. There is no other form of heating. So what do I do? Mm. You know, I simply can't afford to go out and retrofit my house. Also, I've come across numerous people in recent months that can't get pellets for their pellet stoves. Now, we live again in a rural area. We have had, I'd say, at least seven power cuts last year. Power cuts that lasted into the next day in some cases. So how does a pellet stove run in that situation? Mm. Yeah, you know, you... How is an old person to survive for 24 hours with no form of heat? An old person that doesn't have transport, doesn't have a way of even getting maybe to the local hardware that may not have pellets. There needs to be something realistic put into place because you can't just say, I'm taking away your food tomorrow. You can't do that. Mm. You know, heat is just as important as food. And to just come up and say, right, we're just going to stop that. Turbury writes, every house in Ireland, every rural house had a bank of turf. Mm. The site on which my house is would have had a bank of turf. I can't actually find where that is. My daughter's house, it came with the deeds of the house, the actual bank that they own, but that's long since closed. You know, it was closed because Board Morden said, we'll close those small banks, we'll develop this big one, and everybody in the area can get their turf off it. Mm. And now they've dug a drain across the gate. So this is just to throw people off, saying you have turbulent rights in Delvin and other areas that I know of. There are people with turbulent rights and the drains have still been dug. So what are they supposed to do? Are they supposed to go in across the drain and dig it with a slain? Because that's not an option. Mm. Do you accept that turf cutting is coming to an end? That uh, Ultimately, with uh, the whole environmental issue and the impact and the importance of bogs as uh, in terms of carbon absorbers for, for Ireland, that this is going to end. W- what about if you were put a scenario that you were given a period of time that it would be uh, ending over and that the retrofitting and the supports and the alternatives would be put into homes? I don't believe that turf cutting should end as part of our cultural right. It's something we all grew up with. For the small amount that's been taken out to be burned on a domestic level, I do agree that the mass extraction of peat to export at a huge commercial level did have to stop. Mm. But to take away something that we've had, it's zero carbon emissions. It's like Eamon Ryan saying we should grow lettuce on our window. You know, this is something we have always had. You know, we often always been a wealthy country, but people were able to get their food in rural Ireland. They were able to go and work hard on the bog and have their fuel for the winter. So the one thing they knew is that they had something to eat and they weren't going to freeze. Mm. So now, you, you, why be- should somebody take that yes. from anybody? You believe you you honestly believe uh, uh, going forward that uh, smallholders taking small amounts of uh, turf from a bog should be retained ad infinitum. It should be retained and it should be our right. You know, I grew up, you know, helping people with their turf. I've raised my children that they go to the bog, they give up their time. You know, it's it's not just your fuel. It's part of our culture, it's part of who we are. It teaches them to go out, do a bit of work, to appreciate the heat that they're enjoying in their house in the winter, you know, to help their elderly neighbours and relatives. It's a big part of who we are. It's not just about, oh, we'll flick a switch and we'll do this. Uh, It teaches them a little bit about Mm. where they come from, where their grandparents came from. 
like my own my father-in-law's bank was bought by compulsory purchase order my own grandfather's bank was bought by compulsory purchase order and you know now they're saying no we can't do this anymore no compensation you're talking about you're talking about bringing home a couple of trailer loads turf a year you know we're not exporting ferry loads of turf or anything else we're not it's not about compensation they were given a small amount of the time yeah you know this is part of as I say what we do it's like your right to go out and grow your own potatoes are they going to tell us next that we can't do that either? <laughs> no, I, I don't think they will, but they won't let us use peat to grow them, that's for sure. I, I can tell you that. Yeah, we're, we're going, we, yeah, they will, but we have to bring it from Lithuania. <laughs> and well, they'll, they'll, and, they'll, and what's, what's the carbon footprint on that? Yes, no, I, I understand, and that is, that is certainly a, a valid point for sure. Listen, I, I'm going to leave it there with yourself. I have somebody else to talk to, Michael Gagan, waiting for me. I'm going to have a chat with him. Thank you for joining me today, Christina. Thank you. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Christina Devine, who uh, her family for generations have relied on turf from Liz Clower Bog. Uh, Michael Gagan's on the line from Kildarki. Hello, Michael. Thanks very good, Jerry. Michael, what bog do you take your turf from or your family associated with? Yeah, we're, I have a um, uh, bog owner up there in Coronan at the moment, um, Jerry, and uh, that's the general area we take our turf from. Uh, you, did you hear, Christina, there what you had to say? No, I didn't. Uh, no, you, you uh, may not have. Yes, impacts on the radio. Yes, uh, yes, you, you may not have heard it. But anyway, basically, Christina made her case and said uh, she's totally against this move to prevent. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, the cutting and distribution of turf because it'll affect people who can't cut their cut their own turf. You know the way they need other people to cut the turf for them and 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 leave it with them. There may not be a, fin- a financial transaction involved, and she's totally opposed to ever banning. Uh, small-scale turf cutting from bogs. What's your opinion? Well, I think it's vital that bogs should be preserved and how you do that is a different matter. And um, it's vital also that they, you can't bring out a rule to um, cut people off entirely from the, the, uh, turf. Turf is traditionally, a, a, some would call it a poor man's fuel. And um, really, um, you just can't cut it off uh, at a stroke, at one stroke, it takes. Uh, it should take at least ten years and some compensation afterwards. Okay, so you're of the view, and I did put that to Christina that if there was a time frame frame involved, uh, that the supports would be put in place, you know, to convert people's uh, mechanisms of uh, insulating and heating their homes to something else and financial supports and that. And we did touch on the compensation. That's what you'd like to see happen. That it would eventually come to an end. I agree completely with that because you can't continue destroying the the bogs. Bogs are special, beautiful places, and they can't be replaced once they're destroyed. And it's so vital to um, preserve what we have. They've largely a vast amount of our bogs have already been destroyed. And um, whether we can get them back again is debatable. Mm. Christina made the point that it's tradition, it goes back generations, and that uh, she doesn't want to give it up, and she knows others as well. What do you think the feeling is on the ground in your neck of the woods? Well, it depends on who you talk to and what's their interest in this. And, um, mm. But um, logically, you, you can't... Um, disregard uh, the pres- pres- preservation of bugs uh, at, at any cost. Mm. 
You know, you must take into account uh, the damage you're doing. If you're doing something you did for many years, you can, just can't come along and say it's okay because I'm doing it that long. Yes. Times change and, diff- and situations uh, develop and disappear as time passes. Yes, and that that is true. It's it's not a, a sort of solid justification where something is uh, proven to be wrong and 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 wrong indeed for the environment and the future of the planet. So you can see the environmental aspect to this, and also the minister mentioned there. You know, from uh, uh, when you burn it, there are of course uh, consequences to burning it as well that uh, impacts on health. So you can see those other arguments. Well, it certainly are. There's valid arguments on both sides, but um, you have to take the long, long view. Uh, such being that uh, the, the Earth is in such a perilous state now that something must be done, and uh, but not at the expense of poor people all of a sudden. Yes. Yes, and I think we all, uh, no matter what side you're looking at this from, that makes eminent sense, Michael. You just can't just cut the um, umbilical cord uh, immediately and say, away you Absolutely. go. Absolutely, I could agree totally with that. And if it, it's it, 10 years, then a lot of the old people that would be born and tough now would be, be passing on and um, uh, houses would be get more modern and easier to heat and... Um, the situation would be different say, in 10 years' time. Yes, interesting indeed. So you appreciate the flora and fauna and the, the carbon-absorbing potential of the bugs. Oh, totally, and the, the wildlife, most of the wildlife in, in the bugs now has disappeared totally compared to when I was young. Mm. The, 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 the bugs used to be full of the carca-free, uh, or sorry, the, uh, the carca-free uh, grouse uh, and... Um, and um, many other birds, and um, but they're all gone now, completely yeah. gone. Mm. And I, 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 I caught on to something you said there. God knows what we'll do with the massive tracks that have been harvested anyway across the Midlands and your neck of the woods. I don't know how they'll ever be restored because it took millennia for it to, to arrive there and how it comes back, I do not know. But we've got to take a stand, yeah. as you say, at some Na- stage. Nature's a great healer yes. as well yes. and... Um, I think if the bogs was all grains closed in and flooded at the, in 10 years' time or, or sooner, and um, it would re- regenerate quite quickly, I think. Now, mm. well, hopefully uh, it will. Listen, you're great. Thank you for taking our call, Michael, today. You're quite welcome. God bless. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Michael Gagan from Kildalki. We had Christina Devine on previously. You hear the different sides and the angles and aspects and arguments. Now, if you've been travelling recently or you intend travelling over the coming days and weeks, you will know that there have been chaotic scenes at Dublin Airport and people waiting hours on end to get through security check-in, etc. Our regular travel advisor is on the line from Globe Travel in Drogheda. Sandra Finnegan, hello again. Hi, Jerry. How are you? Well, I'm good, but I'd say there's a lot of people frustrated with what's going on at the airport. What are you hearing from your perspective, Sandra? Um, yeah, the delays have been sort of imminent for the last sort of 10 days. They've been particularly bad. They started during Cheltenham and they've kind of gone week on week from there on in. Midweek, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, sort of after 10 o'clock in the morning is not too bad. But the early morning flights, anything that corresponds with the long haul flights, particularly with the US, um, major delays on them. 
uh, recommend to people at least three and a half hours. Mm, it's, a, it's a long haul, all right. A, a friend of ours, Nigel McKenna, on the show, he was home in Ireland and he flew back yesterday actually from Dublin. And I'll just read to you, Sandra, what he sent me a message. It's just interesting and that's why we're talking to you today. He was um, heading for the US from Dublin. Traffic, of course, was chaos, Sandra, yesterday with the truckers, etc. Anyway, he left where he was staying here in Louth at 6.30am for an 11.10am flight. So he was nearly five hours ahead, you know, setting out for the airport from North Loud. He used the fast track in Terminal 2 and he said there was only 20 people ahead of him. And he was talking to the bus driver, took him to the terminal, and he was saying, really, the trouble is at T1. No, funnily enough, Jerry, what I'd recommend everybody to do before they travel at the moment, and it's free of charge to do, is to download the Dublin Airport web app. Yes. Okay? Yes. So when you download the app, you can kind of monitor the situation. So um, for the last couple of mornings, I've been setting my alarm at five o'clock to see what's happening at the airport. Mm. And T2 is where the major issues have been. Okay. Up to 45 to 50 right. minutes um, um, in security line. Now that's just security line. That's not check-in. Mm. Okay. Fast track um, has been off sale for passengers unless they're travelling business or premium okay. or have an airport car. Right. Um, if you're travelling with the likes of Ryanair, you can buy fast track as part of your bundle package. Mm. But you can't do that with the other carriers unless you're travelling business class. So anyone getting through business class, uh, anyone travelling through Terminal 2 obviously has either a business class ticket or a privilege card that will yes. allow you to connect through. Okay, and I'm sure that's what Nigel had as well. He's travelling uh, business, I'm sure. And that spe- sped it up uh, for him yeah, there. So they have, you know, for the last three weeks, they have blocked off sale. Because normally here in the office, we recommend everyone for the sake of six or seven euro, book the fast track. We get a free cup of coffee or a newspaper at the end of it anyhow. Mm. So it costs you nothing. But uh, Dublin Airport Authority have taken it off sale for the last three weeks and they're not probably going to reintroduce that until they have workforces back to, you know, full force. Yes, because that is the issue. That's the basic issue here. Lots left during the pandemic and they're now trying to get back up to uh, numbers, numbers to to assist people going through. Just come back to that point you make. Is the lay at the security or check-in or where? It's a combination of both, Jerry. So it's first of all, if anybody can check in online, check in online. Okay. Uh, verify your travel documents if you need them. That's becoming less and less now because with a lot of countries now, you don't even need passenger locator forms anymore as long as you've got a copy of your COVID vaccine certificate or COVID recovery certificate or uh, an antigen or PCR test uploaded. So if you've got that to start with, that starts your journey off pretty easy. If you can check in online, go ahead and check in online, then go to the bag drop and drop your bags and then proceed to the security. Okay. Now let's get a rule of thumb from you again. For European flights, how much time should you give you? Now let's talk about when you arrive at the airport. You should arrive at the airport how long ahead of European flights? I would flights? say three hours plus. Ahead? God yeah. almighty, Sandra, that is such a change. Oh, I know, I know. Like, if you've got a 7 o'clock flight, you're in the airport at 4, which means you're leaving your home at 3 o'clock. You know, so it's... Yeah, and if you're really travelling, you know, a short distance to London or Amsterdam or whatever, it makes it a very long day. But the only way of getting through security at the moment, unless you have a fast-track facility, you're going to need to give yourself that three hours. And even the fast-track lane is slow, Jerry. OK. Transatlantic. 
transatlantic three and a half hours mm. because um, the majority of people who are going transatlantic will end up doing airport check-in because they don't feel confident in the Verifly. You know, you're getting your ESTA visa checked, you're getting your passenger locator checked, and you also have to have your antigen test checked. So that's taken a bit of time at the airport. So the airport staff are under a bit of pressure checking all of those different components. Mm. So then you get checked through, you've dropped the bags, so then you get through security. And then when you get through security, you have to get through immigration. So there's three points on yes. a, a US transatlantic. Mm. So I would say three and a half to four hours. And coming back to COVID, which is, uh, you know, has been there with us for a time now and now the war on top of this and security and everything. Um, you, you must have those certs. You must carry those which on your phone or have... On your phone and, yeah. you know, there's always a time that that phone, the battery will die. Keep a hard copy. You know, yes. the old tradition is no hard just to even have it. Or if there's two people traveling, take a screenshot of each other's uh, COVID certificate just as a backup. Yeah, that's good advice because you do not know the day or the hour something happens and then you don't have well, it electronically. People who leave their phones at a security yeah. when they're going through security and leave their phones behind them. So it's always good to have a backup. And they won't accept a plea or, you know, please let me through or anything like that. No, You're, those days are gone, Mary. It's gone. You are in trouble for sure. Um, in a general sense, Sandra, uh, and your own business and travel agents uh, around the country, um, are you seeing more people coming to you now because of uncertainty? Absolutely, because there's so much documentation going on in travel now. You know, people feel more confident at asking a travel agent to complete that. And uh, and it's a lot of extra admin work for my staff, and there's there's no extra reward from it apart from providing a service to our customer. In a general sense, uh, market uh, market buoyant for summertime this year, yeah, and again, starting yeah. it's probably at about seventy five percent of what it was. Yes. Uh, in. 2019. Okay. And and availability, I always ask you this, in the key resorts in Spain and Italy, yeah, Turkey. Yeah, availability and I would encourage anyone, if they're interested in travelling, get it booked early. Avoid yourself getting into these fuel surcharges. We can see it happening on the transatlantic. So the sooner you book, your price is guaranteed and, you know, we've, we've noticed airfares on some transatlantic routes go up by anywhere from 50 to 200 euro. So the earlier you book, you know, the better chance you have of getting a deal. Absolutely. It's busy. I hear the chatter going on there in the background. Uh, business is flying there. Uh, Sandra, delighted for you and you're back up and running full steam ahead after a tough couple of years as well. There's never never a dull moment in the never travel business. There's always something around the corner. <laughs> there is indeed. Sandra, talk to you soon. Take Thanks, care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Sandra Finnegan there. Globe Travel uh, in Drogheda, your local travel agent across the northeast and beyond. I have to say myself, I've booked flights online. Never booked a full holiday, to be honest with you, because I always trust my local travel agent. Coming up after two on the show, we're joined by identical twins. To some of your messages to us on late lunch this afternoon, always love them, keep them coming. 086-1800-658. Jerry, it's all right for Eamon Ryan to be making these decisions without sitting down with the people it affects because he doesn't have to worry about the financial side of things. That's about the tariff cutting. We were talking to Christina Devine and Michael Gagan, top of the show. Point well made. Uh, another one there from 
from Ella uh, Sandra Finnegan on about the chaos at Dublin Airport making uh, several recommendations to you and great advice I have to say uh, Ella says that's why I always have a paper copy of everything yes Sandra saying if you have your certs on your phone uh, for Covid and that do bring another copy with you. Uh, hi, Jerry. Do other airports have the same problems as we do in Dublin? Uh, I'm glad I'm going nowhere. Thank you. Love your show, says Maria. They do, I can tell you, Maria. I've been the subject of delays at uh, several airports as well, but it's just unprecedented at the moment. And uh, uh, Sandra making the point, they're recruiting like mad. They lost a thousand people over the course of the pandemic. And there's not enough bodies there to man uh, the positions to get people through. But they are working away on it. But uh, definitely head early if you're flying out from Dublin Airport. Now I move on on the show this afternoon. And I'm delighted to welcome my next guest to the programme. I I met one of them before. Maybe I met two of them. But you see, they're identical twins. Sure, how would I know? One could have been telling me she's the other. And they're with me for a very specific reason. I'm delighted to say hello to the Byrne twins from Drogheda and Nisa and Patrice. Hello ladies. Hi Jerry. How are you? I'm really good. Um, Anita, would you confirm that I've definitely spoken to you in the past. Patrice, did I talk to you too? No, not not me at all. Just, ah. just Anita a couple of times. So. Yes, yes, that's right. Now I have me bearings all right. Anyway, welcome both of you to the show. Patrice, I'll stay with you for a moment. Tell me this, uh, who was born first? Anita was born first. She was born two and a half minutes before me, so she's the elder twin. Okay, so she's the elder. And how did you fare weight-wise? Um, Anita was a little bit heavier, so we were premature births as well as typical with uh, multiple births. So we were quite underweight, um, and I suppose that's going back 50 years now, so it's, it's, um, the advances have been made in it, yeah. but Anita was that little bit heavier. And you were obviously uh, in, a, in special care of the nursery, were you, for a time, yes, after you were born? We were. Yeah, 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 you were indeed. Anyway, uh, that's up your street, Anita, with the career you followed. It certainly is, Jerry. Yeah, and I, I mean, without being a twin, I also have or being a twin. I also have a fascination in the whole kind of, you know, birth of twins and and how they are formed. And yeah, it's it's feeds very well into my uh, my chosen career, of course. Yeah, because Anita, I'll tell you folks, is a lecturer in uh, in midwifery at DKIT and Patrice is a lecturer in psychology at Dunboyne College and DCU. God, you're following the the educational paths, the perivia for sure. But uh, um, Anita, when when you're growing up and when when you start to find your feet and your littlies and then you go to school and that, were you confused, Anita, with Patrice and vice versa from an early age? Well, I don't think we were necessarily confused, Jerry, because, you know, we were, we were born together, we mm. grew up together. We never knew anything different. Yes. But we always get people asking us, oh, you know, what's it like being a twin? And, mm. and our general response to that is, oh, what's it like not being a twin? Because <laughs> we, we don't know, actually. <laughs> being a twin is so natural to us. Um, but um, growing up, yeah, I mean, there were teachers who would always get us confused. But mm. there was a really interesting way that they could tell us apart. Um, and that's, I'm right-handed and Patrice is left-handed. So when we were sitting together in school, sometimes we would bash our hands over each other because we're writing in the opposite direction. Um, so that's how the teachers kind of were able to tell which one was which. Oh, subtle nuance. But yes, when people established that, they'd be able to tell you apart. Patrice, did you ever stand in for one another or play a, a gag on anybody? You know, one's supposed to be the other or anything like that. 
We did actually, yeah, and then actually quite recently as well. So um, as you mentioned, I'm teaching in psychology and Anita's teaching in midwifery and a kind of common topic that we talk about is attachment and attachment at birth and the importance of that. So Anita invited me down to speak to her students in Dundalk and we wore the same clothes. Um, So Anita walked out of the class and I walked in um, and only one of her students noticed the difference and that's because we were wearing different shoes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love it, lady. I just love that. Isn't that a brilliant story? Uh, and it just shows you how much alike you are. And I was looking at the pictures earlier today to see, and my God, the similarities are, are, are just unbelievable. Identical is right. Now, the reason you're with me today is that you came up in dispatches recently uh, in relation to King's College in London and this twin registry that they maintain there. It's one of the most detailed in the world. Um, Anita, how uh, did you become involved with this and how long are you involved with them and what does it entail? So I think it was actually Patrice who found out the um, the link to, to this twins registry. It's a, it's a massive kind of um, global research um, project whereby twins, both identical twins and non-identical twins, sign up to King's College Hospital in London um, and they track you across your lifespan then with regard to, you know, differences or similarities in health and, and health outcomes. So we've been involved since about 1999. And um, we had planned to go over, there was a fascinating research study they were doing uh, just before COVID hit about uh, gut bacteria and kind of healthy gut, healthy gut. And we were going to go over to London and actually uh, partake in, in a physical kind of a, experiment. And unfortunately, with COVID then, uh, we weren't able to travel. But we have, um, you know, been involved in numerous kind of surveys whereby they would, uh, King's College would email each of us a survey and we're not allowed to discuss it with each other. That's one of the key features of, of the emails that come to us. Don't discuss this with your twin. Don't share the, your information with your twin. Because what they want to see is, you know, are the differences between people who are identical actually true or are they part of kind of, you know, an environmental thing? Is it more nature or is it more nurture? So it's been really interesting, you know, and we get, we get very frequent uh, surveys and questionnaires to complete. And hopefully now we will be able to make it over to London uh, sometime soon to actually partake in a, in a physical kind of experimental research. Mm, it's really interesting and they have a massive, as I said, the biggest in the world database of different twins, you know, sisters, brothers, sister, brother, identical, non-identical or, or whatever. And uh, um, it, it, it's recognised around the world as being probably the most significant Um what about, you know, in looks, you look very much like each other. Patrice, in terms of your personalities, similar? Very, very similar, actually, yes. And um, we both, so as you know, I, I teach psychology, so one of the areas that I teach about is personality, and I give my students um, a personality test to test their personality traits. Um, and myself and Anita did it. Uh, just as an experiment, because the research is coming back the whole time saying about the similarities in personality traits amongst identical twins in particular. And both myself and Anita did it, and the results that came back were astounding. Uh, we were so similar on every one of the traits as well. Now, obviously, the, the nature versus nurture comes in here as well. So there is a slight difference um, due to the uh, environmental factors as well. So I would always say Anita's a little bit, probably a little bit more outgoing than I would be. Um, she might say to the differ on that, but that would probably be the main difference, I think, between us. But definitely, like you can probably hear it in our voices as well. Yeah. We're very, very similar in, in every way. And the only person actually who could tell us apart was our dad on the phone. 
<clears throat> when we used to speak, he would know instantly as soon as one of us rang him which one it was. Whereas even now, our husbands don't know us apart on the phone. <laughs> that can be good and challenging and different at times, I would say for sure. But, you, you know, when I listen to you as well, it is hard to distinguish you. I don't cause a rare need here today between your loving uh, sister and yourself. Are you more outgoing? I do you know what? That's really strange for Patrice to say. <laughs> oh, they're off, they're <laughs> off. <laughs> I would have thought she was the more outgoing of us. Um, that's really odd, yeah. We must have a chat, Patrice. Yeah, you'll have, yeah. To, you'll have to sort that one out. And, and Anita, like, you know, y- y- you've always got on. Have you, have you a very close relationship as well? We would do, Jerry. to be fair. Um, I suppose, like I said earlier on, we know no different than being a twin. And I suppose um, she's one of the first people that I would I would make contact with or, or chat to if anything was concerning or worrying me or anything I wanted to kind of share with her, you know, good news mm. and that kind of thing. She'd definitely be one of the first people that I would contact. So I would say, you know, as with anybody, any siblings really, there have been, you know, peaks and, and troughs, but for the most part we have been, you know, fairly tight yes. uh, throughout our lives. Mm. Um, you know, so much so that when Patrice, Patrice has three children, I, uh, I have two, um, and you know, in my job as a midwife, I would have been with her for all of her births. Um, and that was very special. Those um, those experiences where she was, you know, yeah. in labour and giving birth and I was actually with her oh. during that time, which was really, really special. Um, Isn't that yeah, lovely? That, was that, lovely. that is really touching, re- really lovely. Um, are there any other twins in the family, Patrice? Or, or were you uh, a surprise as twins? Um, no, there's no other twins in our immediate family. And I, I think because my mom was a little bit older having us, probably not old in, in today's terms, yeah. she was 40 when she had us. So the incidence of multiple births increases as you age. Mm. Um, and we, we believe that is the reason. And we're actually what's called mirror image, image twins. Anita mentioned how she's right-handed and I'm left-handed. So we, we would have sit quite late um, in the process. Um, as well. So um, I think it was more to do with my mum's age rather than any kind of genetic or heritability. Mm. You know, I asked you about looks are given and you've both confirmed that personality-wise you're, you're very similar too. You know, I've often heard this, well, I've heard it at times, not often, where twins, one gets a feeling about the other even though you may be apart, Patrice. Did that ever happen ye? No, no, no. I think that's a bit of a fallacy. Is it? Whole idea. Is yeah, it? It is, and also around this you know, telepathic ability. Yeah. Um, that's that's very much a fallacy. Okay. Well. What does happen on occasion is that we will turn up in the same clothes. <laughs> we might come out with the same sentence at the same time. <laughs> yes. But like, is is that down to genetics or is that down to just pure coincidence? Yes. Um, it's it's hard to to call. Mm. But no, we don't, we don't feel each other's pain and we don't read each other's minds. Mm. Do you do much together, uh, Anita? You know what I mean? Do you uh, holidays or get-togethers or tr- anything like that? Is is there a lot of commonality there? Well, we share very similar tastes in music. And actually, Jerry, we were at a gig last night in Dublin together, uh, which is brilliant. Uh, but, you know, because our, our interests are so similar, we do tend to share a lot of those yeah. experiences. Um, so whilst we might necessarily go on holidays together, that's not like with, with Patrice and her three and, yeah. and me and my two it's quite a big number so we don't yes. have to go on holidays together but we would definitely kind of socialise together and go to music concerts and um you know, family gatherings, mm. that kind of thing. Mm. Um, so we do have quite um, a good, close kind of social uh, relationship and that, that's been like that really, you know, since... <laughs> Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Since the very beginning, we've been yeah. always been together, you know. Uh, what gig we at? We went to see Midlake. Oh, uh, it's a, an American band, yes. kind of a Maritana folksy band in the Button Factory Lovely. in Dublin last night. It was great, really Lovely. super to be back out. Oh my, isn't live it? Music. Yeah, isn't it just fantastic? It, it really is. Anyway, you're part of this, uh, you know, uh, UK twin registry, and good luck to you with that ongoing. And it has a a, a very serious purpose as well going forward uh, on on a range of levels uh, for everybody who's contributing to it. And, and I wish you both well with your wonderful careers lecturing in midwifery and psychology. And it's great to catch up with both of you today. And uh, keep, 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 keep the fun side going. Uh, swap. Do those things that you did on <laughs> your students in the doc. They're great stories. More of them, please. <laughs> we'll certainly try. Do indeed. Th- thank you both for joining me. I really appreciate your time. Thanks a million. Thanks, Jerry. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's the Byrne twins from Drogheda, Anita and Patrice. Identical twins. You wouldn't tell them apart, I challenge you. But don't ask them to write. You know now how you can figure them out. Late lunch, LMFM Radio. Back in a moment with our two on Tuesday. There's somebody looking for a date with an identical twin. Well, the Burns are off, off, off limits for sure. Is there any other identical twins out there in the market for a date? There's somebody looking for a date with an identical twin. If you can help, 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Anyway, our two on Tuesday, this Tuesday afternoon, is my one and only. It's Miss Kylie Minogue. The song was released on August 29, 1994. And within a week, it raced to number two in the charts. It was lauded by her critics as one of her best ever songs. Straight in a two, but for one week only. But what kept it off the number one spot? Let's hear Kylie and then we'll tell you. Coming up shortly, you'll know it well, I promise you.
not laughing at Kylie. I'm laughing at Mr. Brian Farley, he's with me again today. He says to me, you're like some psychedelic nut job in there. I was. I was. I'm mesmerised by her. I'm absolutely mesmerised by her. And that song especially. Yes, you're two on Tuesday. Miss Kylie Minogue, uh, the lead single from her fifth studio album of the same name. One week only at number two. But how? Why? What kept her off number one? Well, let me tell you that the song that kept her off number one in September 1994, had been there at number one for weeks and weeks and weeks. You must remember it. From four weddings and a funeral, a cover of the Trogs hit from the 60s, 15 weeks at number one. Let's have it. Wet, wet for 15 weeks in the spring, summer, and autumn of 1994. Would you believe this? That that song could have remained at number one for even longer. But wet, wet, wet got that fed up, up, up with it that they pulled it themselves. They actually deleted it. And off it went from the number one spot. Isn't that just amazing? Four weddings and a funeral, yes, from the movie. The number one that kept Kylie off number one. Oh, no, Jerry, says a listener. I'm not really a fan of that Kylie song at all. There's no comparison with Wet, Wet, Wet. Jerry, just to let you know, we were listening to Sandra with you earlier on in the show and I've just dropped my parents off at T2 in the airport, Terminal 2, and I've just heard back from them. It just took 20 minutes to get through security. That is good to hear. And thank you very much for letting us know. Another one there, lovely comment following my chat with... Identical twins, Anita and Patrice Byrne. A listener on to say, well, it's Sue Ellen. Sue Ellen, thank you for getting in touch with us. Lovely to hear the story of the twins, Jerry. I am a twin. Joanna and I are not identical, but we do look similar. We were £8.9 ounces and £9.10 ounces when we were born. 11 minutes apart. Big babies for twins, I have to say. We are very close, but we're often described as chalk and cheese. I love that comment. Thank you indeed, Sue Ellen, for getting in touch with us on the show this afternoon. Lovely to hear from you. And if you've anything to tell us about... The usual numbers get straight to studio here. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Now we move on with one of our valued regulars. As I said a few moments ago, I always have the green eye when I'm talking to him or see him because he always has a fairly new set of wheels under his backside every time. Tony Conlon, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you indeed. Lovely to have you with us. Tony, first up, and this is on everybody's uh, lips at the moment, I think, when it comes to motoring, and I know you have a view on it as well. But I read a headline here that says Nissan, Nissan, Nissan charges ahead to electric an electric future, Tony. Tell us, uh, you, you've been uh, seeing what's, what's going on with Nissan. Yeah, indeed. Uh, like the, the, the charging ahead is not at all about it. it said they won't introduce a new pure internal combustion engine. That's a pure petrol, basically. They, they may do hybrids or electric and all that and plug-ins, but they won't do anything from 2023. The company expects 75% of the sales 
mix in the region to be electrified by 2026. Now, you must remember they were the origin of the species, of course, with the leaf. They're mm. still doing extremely well. Yes. And they initially had a smaller output in a char a battery. And, and uh, I remember when I drove them first, I think it was about 136 kilometres, about to draw them back and a little bit more maybe from where I am. But uh, it has expanded great beyond that. And it's a lovely drive. But yeah, we were over in, in went over to Spain. If it, it was the weather was absolutely atrocious, and uh, it was a dust factor too. To a race circus outside Madrid, there used to be Formula One circuit, and we drove a number of cars. We saw the new Duke Hybrids, and then the Cascai E Power drove that on the circuit. Uh, that's very interesting. And the X Trail was a static view. The Leaf we, we drove it again uh, on a smaller uh, part of the circuit, and then the new Nissan Array. And that's, that's a very interesting US SUV that's going to be coming in uh, not too far down the road at all, Jerry. It's a lovely, beautiful style of a car and mm. uh, a lovely driver indeed. And then there was the Townstar. But the big talk would be the Qashqai e-Power and the Nissan Area. And uh, like, I don't know what they'll do. But the lap, a lap is 3.8 kilometres and I've done about five laps in each vehicle that we're driving. But... Uh, like the, 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 for, for example, the Qashqai is 100% electric driven motor powers the wheels, for instance. And uh, then there's a course where the 1.5 litre engine recharges the battery on the move. Mm. And that's again a science. Uh, they're going into kind of more EV driving through pure hybrid as such. The area is really, as I said to you, the interesting one that's going to come down the lines very, very shortly. Mm. Built on the, on the new platform and all that. So. Like they've nailed the colours to the flagpole of yes. the palaces, no shadow of doubt, and uh, the, the build quality of the vehicles. And uh, interesting, I think nearer the time we will have to try and speak to some of the dealers because I reckon dealers uh, in general will be very excited about these cars and the way it's not just one new car, Jerry. Yeah, it's a lot of technology there. Uh, as I said, the founding fathers basically of the EV. An awful lot have come along now and jumped in the bandwagon. But as they come back to the old. Uh, the old founder of anything to have the experience like you know yes and 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 that is the message so no combustion engines it's near enough in the future and it's all pushing in this direction i suppose again tony before we move on because i want to talk to you about sure. uh citroen and the, you you've test driven the the c4 recently yes. too um you know the price of these cars and not a lot of availability secondhand because of you know it is it is new yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's no doubt at all about it. Now, look, I, I need myself even to do an awful lot of research going out to buy uh, like an eight-year-old electric car or whatever. I want to see to be able to measure the capacity, what power is left in that battery and what distance will it do and all that. And, of course, there'll be a lot of technology things that be plugged in and be able to tell you. But as I said to you, Jerry, it's again like going in to buy that rig out. Let it be man, woman or child. You have to be measured. You have to tell what, what, what the venture going to. It's a different rig out for different things. And the car is the same. Like different journeys require different means yes. of transport. Mm. There's no use having a two-litre diesel if you're going to get the paper every day. So a Labrador could do that for you. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, uh, the other thing about it is uh, short runs, and it could be ideal. I myself are saying to people at the moment, if they're nervous of taking the jump and they're a two-car family and the smaller car is in the family too, maybe just move the electric forward in the small car category just to see how you get on yes. there first yeah good you know. advice good advice uh, don't don't don't, don't. Like, I'm hearing the stories I love I don't want to go down the road like a, 
of, of the, there's stories and there's propaganda and it's every, there's everything out there at the moment you know what I mean mm. but uh, I, I, I'm not just a petrol head. I'm, I'm a car man. Yes. Although I served me, 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 me time as a as a as a as a, as a motor mechanic for diesel and petrol vehicles, but that wouldn't persuade me in any way. Once was a nice way of transport, and once people are happy and they're not being let down, and you can find charging points and all this little sort of thing. Yes, yes. You don't we, put up the electricity too high, and all. Yeah, yeah. And we were talking about this with an energy expert yesterday, and he mentioned that very point. You know, the charging points and being clever charging overnight at the lower rate as well. Now let's move on uh, yeah. to uh, Citroen, Tony, and the C4. But there's big news with Citroen because the distribution was handled outside of Ireland from the UK for this country for a number of years, but that's all changed now. Yeah, well, they're back with the Gown Group, and, and the Gown Group now are one of the largest distributors in Ireland for all, from everything from Alfred Mayo, Fiat, down to Opel and DS and, and Jeep, to name but a few, and of course, Fusion will be the big one with them. They're part of a group, this LES group, that's going to invest 30 million over the next four years. I, I'm reading figures here, little things I have with 15.9 million, I think, with Suzuki. No, that's this. Sorry, fifteen point six billion with with them, and then you have these other people speaking about thirty billion. Uh, yes, they're back with Gown. Uh, look, when things are managed from a home base, I, there's, there's a great Irishness to it. You know what I mean? I know the managing director, the managing sales manager of this group. Now he's a man of great experience, and he'd sell he'd sell sand to the Arabs. You know, he's just such mm. a gentleman. And uh, that means an awful lot, the personal thing too. Yeah, it's an interesting car. There's no doubt at all about it. Uh, may I tell you something about it, yeah? Yeah, firehead. Yeah, well, look, it's like this. We talk about electric, we talk about this and things before. What I found about the Citroen was like, go back to my childhood and going into a sweet shop, there was a thing called Chice. Uh, so thankfully, it's still in some shops, but garages is getting lesser and lesser because, for example, some are not doing diesel, some are not doing petrol, and you're you're down to hybrids or you're down to whatever else. And there's still another eight years left before 2030. You can have diesel, petrol, or pure electric. I drove the petrol one. I done 41 miles a gallon. It was as comfortable as it comes. It's nearly up there with an SUV, but it's a little, little bit lower. It's only little. Uh, Crim, I have it, but the rear spire, while it's beautiful for an external design perspective, it's a little bit restrictive from a rear view. 1.2 litre petrol engine comes in different capacities from 100 up to 155 brake horsepower. I drove the 130. And the other thing about it is that people are going to have to look at now more and more is the automatic transmission was absolutely stunning, Jerry. Mm. Now, if you buy, if you buy a, an electric, you're automatically excuse the point you're going electric you've no choice there's no such thing as a manual, manual electric yes. car but there is more choice now in electric and, sorry in automatic transmissions and very good ones I think this is an 8 speed automatic and it's a really really a jive car to drive and you know I'm not going to contradict myself here when you look up and see you have so many many kilometres left on, on the tank and you can focus and you don't have the research that plug in this and go on to Google and where's their charge points. We have to get, that's a little bit contradiction today, Jerry, but we have to get the worry and the research out of driving an electric car. You want to be able to get into them and drive and something flash up and tell you you're beside the charge point, which they can, they can do that. But then you could have Mrs. So-and-so in her old Morris Minor hogging up the whole place. So <laughs> that's 
<laughs> God, you're going back there with the Morris for sure, Tony. But you love this C4. Very happy in the car. There's all the mod uh, yeah, cons. Yeah, well, they voted for it in the car. The you year, did. Category. And yeah. actually, a lot of the other colleagues did too, and have won that category. Yes. And that tells you how much they come on in recent times. It's a very nice car to drive. And, of course, there's always that comfort element. And the French do style good, as everyone knows. Not just good, they do very yes. good. Yes. A question from Melissa. The Cupra Tony Electric, have you had any dealings with it? Which one, Jerry? The Cupra. No, I drove I drove the plug-in or the hybrid plug-in version, not the pure electric one yet. No. Okay, Didn't, Grant. No. We leave that for another day, and we'll come back to that for a listener. Um, um, to Renault now, and the Megane E-Tech Electric wins the best electric hatch category at the Top Gear Electric Awards. Tony. Yeah, well, again, again, you can see there's things happening here. Like it's the Top Gear Electric Awards 2022. They're offering a range. Uh, world terms of 292 miles so you can multiply that any way you like so you're nearly up there at 400 kilometres and you can get a charge in 30 minutes 186 miles of a charge in 30 minutes with a fast charger I don't have a price on it yet Jerry but again it's a little bit like Nissan and of course there's an alliance there with Nissan and Renault so the experience is shown too they're pulling awards here and there uh, because of their experience of electric vehicles uh, back down the years. Yeah, the Zoe with Renault, of course. Yeah, uh, absolutely. A, yeah. a beautiful little car now. And as you mentioned there, about if you're looking at the smaller car, the second car would be ideal there. But uh, another big uh, yeah. kudos for Renault with their new logo, Tony, with their new logo. They've yes, just adjusted yes. it slightly, I see. Uh, a few little changes. Yeah. Too, but uh, it's, uh, again, it's, it's, uh, it's a good move for them. Like, you know, it's, a stylish car again, and again it's French, and they do style, as I said, it likes different very, very well. A lot of technology on it, Jerry. It's too numerous here to add, but before I go, I'd love to tell you about Suzuki. Go on. Suzuki, you know, Suzuki reminds me, I was having a chat with a friend of mine recently, and we're talking with a colleague. Probably shouldn't say this, Ray, but I'm going to say it, but we kind of came to an absolute agreement that we never heard a bad word being said about them, you know. And before everyone rings in, that's the way I feel about Suzuki. They like, they like that person that we know that I never heard anyone knocking at my door or picking up the phone and giving out hell to me about, about one of these little Suzukis from Japan and they're breaking my heart. Mm. They're as reliable as hell, user-friendly. SUVs just get on and do the job. I remember driving the SJ version, the small little SUV in the Cora against Range Rovers and everything in an off-road competition. And it was a real tough competition. There was army involved and everything. This come back years. And we won it. But now they're back with a full hybrid guitar. They have a mild one at the moment, which is 48 volt. This has gone 140 volt hybrid. They're going to probably do away with a little mild one, although I had one recently. It was an absolutely little beautiful drive. And the Vitara, it's an SUV. The full hybrid was an interesting, definitely interesting car to drive. And uh, then they have the new S-Cross. Now, the S-Cross is an SUV also, Jerry, and they had a timid design version there before this, this predecessor. The S-Cross is now what it should have been from the start, mm. from a design perspective. Okay. Mechanically, it's bulletproof. But the design perspective was it was too mellow looking. It wasn't macho enough looking. Yes. And there's other things. Like They've rectified that now. So, yeah. Tony, yeah. all good with Suzuki. We have to leave it there for yeah. today. Thank you. Everything good there with Suzuki. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us as usual, Tony.
We appreciate it. Take care of yourself. Tony Conlon there, our car man on late lunch. Question there. Tony answered it anyway, just coming in after he uh, left there. Are all electric and hybrid cars automatic? All electric, full electric cars are automatic. I know that for sure. The hybrids, not so. We have a hybrid, uh, a Ford Puma, lovely car. Uh, honestly, and the hybrid, it's lovely in it, lovely and quiet. It's, uh, you know, it's a mild hybrid. Uh, petrol combination I have to say we've taken the step on the road and it's just inevitable really now folks that that's the way it's going motoring wise but the cost of full electric cars is prohibitive at the minute you know it really is for the majority of people and you know it's an issue that's going to remain there and I don't know what can be done about it but something will have to to encourage people I know there's the grant we heard about it yesterday with Paul O'Reilly but there's more needs to be done there to get people down the electric road for sure watch this space but it is like the tide King Canute we can't stop it that's absolutely for sure just reminding you Drogheda United Bingo is back tonight at the Barbican Centre 8 o'clock 4,000 snowball there tonight to be won. They're back indoors at the Barbican after a long break and they'd be delighted to see you there. Heading towards news, weather and sport now at three. In the company, Mr. Loris and the Cranberries. Song is Linger. Make sure you linger with us on late lunch. Stay with us. We're back shortly with more just for you. I mentioned him top of the show talking to Sandra Finnegan. He sent me a message yesterday as he waited to board from Dublin Airport back home to New York City. Nigel McKenna, and he's a regular listener, of course, from North Loud to the show every day. Little did he or I think he'd be sending me the message he's just sent me here. Uh, from a subway station in Brooklyn, he tells me that 13 people have been shot there this morning. Uh, people going to work. Somebody dressed, Jerry in a yellow vest like a construction worker shot them. My God, we think of them and their families today. Breaking news uh, from New York City. Um, from uh, Nigel, thank you indeed for getting in touch with that. It's shocking, truly, truly shocking. And that story developing as we speak. God bless them all. You're at Late Lunch on LMFM Radio and I move on with my soundtrack this week and it's from the movie A Star Is Born. The 2018 version, of course, produced, directed and starred in by Bradley Cooper. A Star Is Born premiered on the 31st of August 2018 before its cinema release later on in October of the same year. It was a massive critical success and commercially a big earner too, taking $436 million worldwide at the box office. It received eight Oscar nominations, including Best Picture... Actor for Cooper and actress for Lady Gaga. The soundtrack which I'm featuring received seven Grammy nominations, winning four, and bestowing on Lady Gaga the unique distinction of becoming the first woman in history to win an Academy Award, Grammy Award, BAFTA and Golden Globe in one calendar year. Some achievement, not surprised. She's simply brilliant. Rotten Tomatoes concurs with the movie's reception at 90%, eulogising the 2018 remake as a remake done right. Kudos all round, and especially for the movie's score, of which today's number is but one.
I have to say, simply brilliant from A Star Is Born, I Don't Know What Love Is, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. Wonderful, wonderful harmonies there and what a cracking song that is from a brilliant, brilliant movie. And I'll bring you another track from the soundtrack tomorrow and more about the movie itself round about this time on the show. Well, it is Easter Tuesday and tomorrow Spy Wednesday, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Saturday and then Easter Sunday. Um, one of the uh, biggest celebrations, the biggest celebration in Christian churches around the world. And Christianity, well... Where is it? Where is it at this time in uh, Ukraine, in the Middle East, in that subway station in New York today? It's a question I'll be putting to one of our regulars on the show, Father Paddy Rush, parish priest of Monaster Boys to New York Fieldstown. Yes, the tradition is back on the streets of Drogheda. It goes back over 20 years. I'm talking about the Way of the Cross, and it's not happened for a couple of years because of COVID, but it's back this year, uh, beginning at 10.30 in the morning from St. Mary's Church on James Street in Drogheda, James Street, Drogheda, St. Mary's Church, and it's carried round the streets of the town, finishing up at St. Peter's on West Street, and everybody encouraged to come along and support and uh, view what's going on or join in on Friday. That's Good Friday, 10.30am from St Mary's Church in James Street in Drogheda, which segues, segues me nicely into my next guest. He joined us at the start of Lent over 40 days ago, and he's back with Easter imminent. Father Paddy Rush, delighted to have you with us again. Jerry, wonderful to be with you, and uh, greetings to all your listeners, uh, and a happy Easter. Blessings of Holy Week to you all. And an Easter, I mentioned the way of the cross there, an Easter as well that's back this year after difficult times too, Paddy. Absolutely. I think everybody has, you know, noted that. Everybody uh, is, is keen to see the, the numbers, you know, people back in in, in person. And yet, Jerry, I'm sure you notice yourself, there are people who are still very nervous and very anxious um, numbers are still high, as we know, uh, even though they don't feature in the news mm. for obvious reasons. Um, but thankfully, for most people, it's it's very manageable. Um, but there are still some who are vulnerable, and I, I, I do respect that. In those cases, people obviously will still be tuning in online, and that's going to be a, a feature of our of our Easter this year. And from now on, actually, it's going to be a big part of it, really. Yes, and it is there as an option for anybody who is concerned or nervous. Now, when you look at the the, the, the church here and people love the Christmas time and the birth of the child Jesus and all around that, but it's fair to say that Easter and Christ rising from the dead is probably the key message. Well, yeah, certainly it's for, in the church perspective, from the church perspective, it is the highlight of the of the year. Um the journey, I, I was reflecting on myself over my own uh, prayer and uh, meditation over the last few days because we read the, the I don't know if you remember, Jerry, the long gospel. Do you remember? Mm, it? I do indeed, as an altar boy, Paddy, as an altar boy, yes. <laughs> um, I remember, and it seemed to go on for an eternity, but now I suppose, you know, it, it, it's different now. And uh, as I read it there on Sunday, particularly, um, you know, I was struck by all the different personalities and perspectives in that passion story, whether it be, you know, Judas, Simon of Cyrene, the, the Veronica who wipes the face of, of Jesus, his mother who stood watching, uh, you know, it, it's just it's so rich in a connection to all of us. Mm. Jesus who carries crosses, 
how many people are carrying crosses today. Jesus, who's innocently suffering, how many people innocently suffering today. We think of Ukraine particularly. Yes. Of course. I mean, it just speaks still so profoundly to the human condition. And yet what we all need, I certainly I need in my life is hope. Mm. Hope keeps us going, and it's the hope of new life, of resurrection, of a conquering of sin, death, evil. I, I want that's that's what I want to know ex- exists. That's what I believe exists in Jesus, in Christ, and um, Easter is is the Holy Week is the the playing out of all of that for us here and now, so that we can join our own burdens, sufferings death into that moment of Christ's life. You know, for me, it's very powerful, Jerry. And as I get older and older, <laughs> it gets more and more mm. striking, you know. Yes. Um, yes. And, and you mentioned Ukraine and, and I see the churches still there in the midst of Ukraine, uh, Christian people trying to do their very best in the carnage when places have been wiped out and people have been summarily murdered. And, and, and I say it again, I absolutely condemn what Russia is doing. It's just abhorrent. And war crimes, uh, you name it, it's all happening there. And they can say what they like, Patty. I just am a bit political here about fake news and that. I'm not buying that. I don't think people in the no, world... No, are, I, I'm not buying that either, by Jerry. any means. No, look, it's not just Christian... I mean, I was struck today. Uh, there's a, a meeting, um, a visit of... of Heads of churches, all faiths—Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, yep. Christians—in Ukraine. The, yes. um, Rowan Williams is, is over there. I heard him on the news this morning, um, and also I, I was struck by a tweet I saw earlier on. Um, the Catholic Church has a, a international movement called Caritas, and the offices of Caritas were bombed today in one of the Ukraine cities, and there were several people killed. Uh, sadly, God, God rest them. You know, Jerry, it's just, you know, the world is still suffering. The world is still in need. I, I believe, my own, from my own perspective, I, I don't want to put anything on anybody else as, as they listen, but I believe that we still need a saviour. We are not, you know, we only have to look around to see sin, death, evil in the world. Mm. We, I need a saviour. I believe we need a saviour, and I believe that that's in Christ Jesus. And if we can touch base with anything over the course of the week. I was, I was sharing with the congregation on Sunday, there are so many ways now to connect with this time of the year, whether it be through media, of film, music, television, radio. There are so many Easter programs on, of reflection, uh, prayer, uh, you know, kind of deeper introspection and so on. Different ways in which we can uh, reach out. And then, of course, there's the practical things that we can all do and then, of course, there's the lovely things that are going to be happening. Families are going to be getting together, Jerry, over this year, over this Easter, for the first time maybe in years. Yes. I know a few people who are coming home from Australia uh, for the first time in, in years, you know. Yes. So the traditional things that happen at Easter for families, the gathering, the coming together, the meeting up, the family meals and so on. Thank God all of that can continue again. And that's a blessing. That's a blessing in the midst of all. That yes, going through. Can I ask you this? Because I, I come back to the point: this fake news thing that was started by a fellow called Trump in America, and by God, I just think of the damage he's done there, and now it's been used uh, in Russia as well. They've cottoned on to this. 
the, the the whole thing of truth, Paddy, like what is true? Fake oh, news, all this stuff. This is the big <laughs> challenge in the world today, isn't it huge, really? Huge, Jerry. But you look, I mean, that's featured also in the uh, in the Passion Story pilot asked, what is truth? <laughs> you know, he was asking that question back then. And, and yes. The, 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 the Pharisees were saying Jesus was an agitator. He was a, a threat to Caesar and so on and so forth. And, and Pilate found no evidence for that in the testimony of Christ and so on. So, you know, what is truth, Jerry? Certainly, I believe there is truth. I think we all have a responsibility to search for it. Um, I, I really don't think that we can take, so many of us take the easy way of looking up the internet and just seeing what's the first story we see or the yes. first, you know, I think we all have a responsibility to to go deeper, to try and, and you know, make our way through the, the, the kind of fog of words and try and find some reliable sources that we can kind of uh, trust. And um, I know that's hard. I think People like our own, um, you know, uh, journalists and so on, who, who work so hard. You know, pe- people like yourself, or your colleagues, you know, mm. who, who are interested in, in just communicating what's happening on the ground. Uh, I think that's probably the, the best way. But as, as, a, as a people, I think we really have to start to be more discerning about what we take in. Uh, I think that's a big challenge for all of us, yes. I think, in the media age. I think that's a really important message this Easter time as well. Look, I have a minute left. Do you want to say something to our listeners today at this Easter time to give hope? Because you started with hope. We need hope. We pray this war ends and we pray that truth prevails in the world. Amen, Jerry. And look, I mean, I, I just to say to everybody who's who's in difficulty, a difficult situation at this time, just to know that, first of all, I believe Jesus is with you, carrying that cross with you as he carries his own and I believe in the resurrection. I believe that th- there is life to come. There is uh, a release of, of these burdens that we're going to receive, not just in the future, but I believe now. And there are many, many people who are living that every day and doing that for others. That is the Easter message, I think. Paddy, I wish you well over the coming days. Uh, the ceremonies uh, begin in earnest uh, from tomorrow and run right through to Sunday. Happy Easter to you and all of your congregation out there in uh, Monaster Boys to Near and Fieldstown and to all people across the North East and beyond. I hope you have peace this Easter time. Thank you so much for joining God bless me. You, Jerry. Thank you and God bless everyone. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Father Paddy Rush there. He's a fantastic man. I've known him from he was a young priest and anywhere he's gone, he's touched people and touched their lives in a very positive, positive way. And he is a rock of sense. He really is. And he's a real man of God. He is and... Uh, We wish him well this Easter time. Thank you for your company on Late Lunch this afternoon. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive. Midweek Late Lunch, Wednesday, and then we have Thursday, and we're off on the old Easter holidays. Lear Chocolates tomorrow, yes. Is that enough for you? Dr Mary McCreary will be with us too. And uh, we have a sad story. Yes, we have a sad story. Very sad story to a little boy who lost his mum. Anyway, that's it on Late Lunch this afternoon. See you tomorrow, 1.30. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Check out the new sporty and spacious Renault Arcana in petrol and full hybrid. Guaranteed delivery, low AP or finance and 48-hour test drive. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.